Hey everyone, welcome to my front porch. I'm excited about this podcast where I'm just sharing what God is laying on my heart uh, in the moment. Now, a lot of times when I'm spending time with the Lord, um, He will just make something so crystal clear to me. And I always think, I shouldn't be the only person who knows about this. <laughs> you know, it says in the Psalms that when God answers our prayers, when God talks to us, when He, when he shows Himself— and makes himself known that we're supposed to shout it from the mountaintop. So this is kind of my version of that. The interesting thing is that today is the day before the 2020 elections, and this podcast won't be published until afterwards. Uh, we'll have all the results in. We'll know what's happened. We'll um, we will know. Uh, we'll have some big answers about the direction, the current direction of our country. And for many of us, that's a uh, that's a burden we've been carrying for a while. Um, but as I was talking to the Lord about this this election and about really just about positioning my own heart uh, just to receive what God has for us. And what I mean by that is I have gone through many election cycles. And uh, just to forewarn you, this whole podcast is not about elections. I'm just telling you the timing of it because I think it's interesting and I think it's important um, moving forward to understand that uh, God, he, he is good and He prepares us for what lies ahead. And I think that as we watch things unfold and and then you listen to this podcast you're going to you're going to have the same feeling that I do that wow god is faithful he is our anchor and these words came before any of this went down and they are words of life words that we can hang on to principles that we can ground ourselves in and isn't that really what we're looking for right now um you know Times are turbulent, uh, things are changing, and as moms, we want to be stable, honestly, to be mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually stable, but it, it starts with our hearts being grounded in the truth, the truth of who God is and the truth of His Word. And that's what I'm hoping to bring to you today and praying that um, some things that I say today will resonate with you. Maybe everything won't, but I do feel like God clearly laid out a few things this morning that I want to make sure that I pass on to you because that's what I'm here for. I'm here as a type of mentor. I do not have all the answers. I only know what God has taught me and what He is teaching me, and that's what I'm sharing with you today. And as I mentioned before, I've been through several election cycles, and I have found myself hung up on who's winning and who's losing and my emotions riding that roller coaster. And I knew that was coming down the pike as I kind of went into this weekend, um, Saturday and Sunday, as we're approaching Tuesday, which is election day. So Saturday, um, I found myself very, very much struggling with remembering who God is, um, standing on... Um, just the foundational principles that I know to be true, because this is what happens. We know things are true about God, and we walk in them, and then something happens or comes along, and it throws us off, and we have to find that footing again. And so I found myself praying and asking God to position my heart to receive 
what he has for us. I didn't want to be walking out of that feeling like I'd been hit by a bus. And, you know, it may still happen to a certain degree just because I'm human. And there are some things that I that are very important to me that um, kind of hinge on, on some of what's about to happen on Tuesday. But the one thing that I have learned over all of these years through trials that I've been through with my family, um, trials I've had personally, and I'll be sharing many of those trials in this podcast. Um, that's what On the Porch is all about, is just a place for me to share my heart, to share what God's taught me in difficult times and in good times and um, in struggles, trials and temptations. Um, it's a mentoring type of podcast. And uh, that's my heart for you in all of it, that you'll be able to hear some of my stories and how God worked and, and, and find hope and inspiration for your own story, because God is writing your unique story and He is just as faithful. He will be just as faithful and is just as faithful to you as He has been to me. But two very important principles that have really stood out over the years that have been grounding principles for me have been understanding, believing, and embracing God's sovereignty, that He truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that He decides who is in authority. He decides who becomes king. He decides who gets elected into office. And we become frightened and afraid about those things. But when we understand that God places people where they are because He has a plan and it is a good plan, it doesn't mean it might not be hard. It means that we will have the opportunity to see God at work in miraculous and amazing ways. Even in the last six months as we've gone through all this COVID stuff and the the fear from all different places, fear of the virus, fear of liberties lost, um, fear of you know overreach of government, in the midst of all of it, even in the midst of the failures of the church and God's people, I see God working. I see him strategically positioning his people to be overcomers, to rise up, to remember who our God is, and to move forward in power and victory with the hope of God's kingdom advancing, Him being glorified. And in the midst of all of it, in the midst of watching Him work, we will have this peace that passes all understanding in spite of who's in office. God is at work. Yes, it's going to affect us, but ultimately, He is the one who's weaving the story together. It is His story. It is not the political candidate's story. It's not our story that we're bringing together. It is God's story, and He is sovereign over all of it. And now, something that I want to share with you that I've shared many times, if you've been listening for a while, you've heard me say this before. If we believe in and embrace His sovereignty, but we don't think or know or understand or embrace that He is good, we 
are sunk. We do not have hope because a powerful God who isn't good is frightening, actually incredibly frightening. But our God is not only sovereign, He is also good. And you will see this repeated throughout Scripture, through all the stories in the Old Testament and all the testimonies of the New Testament. Ultimately, what you see is God's power, His sovereignty, and His goodness at work all the time. They work hand in hand, even when we don't understand it, even when we can't see how it's going to work out for our good. Moms, we can trust Him. So what I've been reading lately is a is a book by Jeremiah Burroughs, who was a Puritan preacher. And if you've read anything by Puritan preachers, their reading can be very difficult to understand. So I have the uh, abridged and, and in modern English version of his book called The Rare Jewel of Contentment. Now, I can tell you that this book um, is a game changer. A friend of mine recommended it to me several months ago. I bought it, didn't open it up, and then I began to read it a couple of months ago. And it has literally been life-changing because there is something incredibly powerful about contentment. And I'm not going to go into many details about the book. I would highly recommend that you get it. What I did was just read sections of it as part of my devotional, and if he happened to mention um, a scripture passage, I would just go and read the whole chapter around it. But I want to read you one paragraph that I read this morning, because as I told you before, I was positioning myself to receive from God what He has for us in this election and whatever happens afterward. Okay, this can also apply to any situation that you see forthcoming that looks like it might be a trial or you're, you even have a feeling that God is about to humble you. And I know from previous elections that I have been humbled by what has played out, not only in the election, but afterwards. And so this was a perfect paragraph for me to read this morning and I wanna share it with you. It's titled, Grumbling When God is About to Humble You. Suppose you have some hints that the Lord is about to humble you, to break your heart and to bring you low before Him. I'm going to stop for just a minute because I know that there's going to be victories in this election and there are going to be some major disappointments, just like in everyday life. And in you know, as we walk out our journey, the, our journeys, there are um, always victories and there are always disappointments. We cannot avoid that. It's going to happen. We as Americans tend to want to dodge every discomfort, but it's in the discomfort that God reveals himself. So suppose you have some hints that the Lord is about to humble you, to break your heart and to bring you low before him. The way a Christian should walk with God is to join with him in this project. You are grumbling and discontent because of misfortune. But the very reason that you are troubled is to break and humble your heart. Will you then set your will against God's? He is doing you good if you could just see it. And if he is pleased to sanctify your hardship, to break that hard heart of yours and to humble your proud spirit, it would be the greatest mercy you ever had in your life. To oppose him would be to say, well, the Lord wants to break and humble me, but I say he won't. Though you do not use those words, 
It is nevertheless the language and attitude of your spirit. Moms, I can tell you this has been the language and attitude of my spirit many, many times over the years, but God in his goodness did not let up. He continued to press down on me. And eventually I realized there was freedom in humbling myself and humbling my heart and allowing it to be broken, allowing God to break the pride, to break my proud and humble spirit was so incredibly freeing. I can't even tell you. It was those moments where God did such a deep work in me. Not only did he humble me, but in the midst of that incredible difficulty and that breaking, he also broke chains of bondage in my own heart and life. We all have them, moms. Nobody is free of that. Nobody is um, immune to that. Maybe there are things you've never shared with anyone else that you know in your heart you've been in bondage to. We all have those. But God wants to work in those very deep, deep places of our hearts. I remember a pastor described it once as though our heart is a, home, is a house. And we have those closets and those rooms that we don't let anybody in, not even Jesus. And he was encouraging us to open the door let the light flood in and let Jesus come in and clean out those places. That's what he wants to do. It's not always fun, (laughs) guarantee you, but the pain is worth it. God more than makes up for the pain of being humbled and broken before him. He rewards it greatly. So don't be afraid to walk in humility and allow God to break and humble your heart and to bring you to a place of contentment with what, wherever he has placed you in life, whatever trials he has clearly asked you to walk through, we can actually embrace them with joy, knowing that God is working in a mighty and powerful way. So as I read through that paragraph and then a little bit further into the rest of the chapter, uh, he mentioned Uh, the writer Jeremiah Burroughs mentioned Hebrews 12. And I decided to go ahead and to go read that. And as I read through it, it tied so well into what I was reading um, when it comes to being humbled and when it comes to hardship and when it comes to to, um, trials and suffering. So, God humbles us, and in that humbling, he is disciplining us. And this is what it talks about in Hebrews 12. Before I read Hebrews 12, I want to just preface it by saying, we often feel that we are alone when we're walking through trials. We often feel like no one else has experienced what we are experiencing. And I want to tell you, you're not alone. There are other people suffering that may not look identical to what you're going through. But Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Everything has happened before. Everything has been done and said before. And we have people, part of the body of Christ, 
the family of God that we belong to, who have gone before us and who have suffered and struggled as well and been found faithful. They are a great cloud of witnesses. And that's what chapter 12 in Hebrews is referring to as I, as I go ahead and read through this. So we're not alone. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. What does he mean by that? Other translations in the Bible uh, refer to it as a besetting sin. It's something that we struggle with on an ongoing basis, a sin that keeps tripping us up and distracting us and keeping us from bringing glory to God in our lives and maybe just a repeated pattern. Um, I can tell you, for example, one of my I have several that God has dealt with over the years, but one that I would call a besetting sin is thinking that my plan is better than God's, somehow thinking that I know better than He does, somehow not necessarily using the words, but by my actions and my thoughts, I'm saying I am God and He is not. I read once that anxiety is rooted in being unwilling to embrace and believe and walk in the fact that He is God and we are not. He is God and we are not. So when you begin to feel anxious, ask yourself, am I believing that He is God and I am not? Or am I trying to push forward and be in charge here? So it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And it restricts us from moving by faith. That's what my notes say on that. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So we're staying focused on him and his work on our behalf. Jesus has accomplished everything necessary for faith under the new covenant to be a reality, not just in the future, but in our lives right now. So we do this, we run this race, and we throw off these weights by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He's our example, okay? Because of the joy that was awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor besides Beside God's throne, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in your, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. In other words, we haven't been killed. We're still alive. We're still breathing. And so we continue to stand firm lay aside those besetting sins, keep our eyes on Jesus, be willing to walk through those trials and embrace the fact that 
and endure our cross like he endured his cross, disregarding its shame, not being, not hanging on to our pride, not being weary and giving up. We're still here. We're still called to move forward in our faith. And then he goes on to say, and have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as his child. Punishment, that term is actually like a discipline or a training. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But do you hear the extremes there? I do the same thing. When God is correcting me, I can either I can choose to take two extremes. I can either make light of it, not pay attention to it, ignore it, allow myself to be distracted. So that's the one extreme. And the other extreme is to become incredibly discouraged um, and give up and just feel hopeless. Okay, God is calling us to not do either one of those things. You've probably seen these things in your children too when you've disciplined them. They wanna go to one extreme or the other. Neither one is right. Neither one is a godly, right, fruitful response to discipline. A fruitful response to discipline is to embrace it and to walk in it and to do it humbly. And so it goes on to say in verse seven, as you endure this discipline, this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, we, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? And if this God... I'm thinking this God is perfect, right? So he disciplines perfectly. It doesn't feel perfect when we're experiencing it, but it is his perfect discipline for us. The scriptures say endure hardship as discipline, right? He's saying endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. And then he goes on to say, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they know how, they knew how, right? That's us moms. Our parents did the best they could in their circumstances. We're doing the best we can. None of us are going to be perfect. But it goes on to say, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we may share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So the discipline he's talking about is a training. It's not punitive. It's not him standing there with a bat ready to beat us down every time we make a slight mistake or even a big mistake. His training is for our good. It's always, always for our good that we would share in his holiness. And again, it's reiterated here that it's painful. It's like working out. You know, if you've ever worked out and tried to build muscle, it's painful. You have to repeatedly burn out that muscle and and exert effort in order to build that muscle. It's the same thing with your faith. We have to build that muscle. It has to be exercised and that takes discipline. 
Just like it takes discipline to work a muscle and build it in our bodies, it takes discipline to work that faith faith muscle. And it's going to be painful, but there's going to be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Because here's the thing, discipline, let me look at my notes here. Discipline is something that Jesus even learned, okay? It said Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. So even he underwent suffering. God is saying suffering, hardship is like a discipline. It's a training. So here's Jesus who's perfect, who still underwent training, and learned from it, okay? So this doesn't have anything to do really with us being punished. It has to do with us learning from the things that we suffer from. Because what I have found in my 53 years of living is that often when I'm going through a trial and a difficulty, and it's so painful and it's so hard and so all-consuming, and I'm doing everything, it's taking a lot from me to be able to walk in obedience to the Lord. What I found is ultimately that thing right there, I walked away with such a treasure that I can look back and say it was worth every single bit of pain. And not only that, I take that treasure and those lessons and that stability into the next season that God may call me into. It could be ministry. It could be um, a, a time where God calls me to speak Um, out his faithfulness to others, I get a chance to testify. So God uses all of it. And it's humbling and it's painful, but ultimately there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. So take a new grip. This is the last two verses. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. And what does that mean? Those tired hands and those weak knees are discouragement and anxiety. And and so the writer here is telling us that we have the opportunity. We have a reason to take a new grip with our tired hands and and strengthen our weak knees because of all the things that we just talked, that he just told us, that God is loving us through this discipline, that his, his discipline is perfect and it is good and it is always going to yield good results. And this is the reason we can take a new grip with our tired hands, our discouragement, with our, and strengthen our weak knees, which is our anxiety. And we can, in verse 13, mark out a straight path for our feet so that those who are weak and lame will not become, will not fall, but become strong. And I believe that's not just personally. This also talks is talking about marking out this straight path because of all the things we just talked about and moving forward so that we have something valuable to offer others. And we can help those who are weak and lame, keep them from falling, and help them stay strong. So it, it circles back around 
um, as we lift each other up as believers, as we evangelize others. God takes all of this difficulty that we're walking through and He uses it to do just that. And He uses it to bring redemption in our lives. So there's discipline. That was the first thing. The second thing is redemption. And the thing that I love about redemption, and before I before I uh, explain uh, or read the next scripture passage, I want to just explain what redemption is. As believers, we use that word a lot, and maybe you're a new believer, or maybe you haven't been to a church or heard a sermon that's really explained what is redemption. Well, redemption is defined in the dictionary is the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. Okay? So we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus from our sins so that we could spend eternity. So our eternity is secure because of the redemption that Jesus provided. And, um, but not just our eternity. Our here and now is being redeemed. And it's being redeemed through a process called sanctification. And all that really means is we were created to be image bearers. We were created to bear the image of God. But because of sin, that got messed up and skewed. You know, back in the Garden of Eden, the fall of man, we, we experience the ramifications of that and we see it all around us. The people, the evil around us, the evil people around us, the evil, you know, that we've had in our own hearts, um, that is not a reflection of who God is. It's a distorted view of who God is. So we were not good image bearers, and now we are becoming good image bearers. And so this is... um, this is what sanctification is. So we start out, we walk this walk, and as we walk our journey with the Lord and we continue to yield to His discipline, we continue to humble ourselves under His training, we become redeemed. We become a better, more accurate image bearer of God. In other words, people are able to more clearly see God in us, reflected in in us. We are called as Christians to be Christ followers. What does that mean? We are Christ-like. We are to be acting as He acted, living as He lived, having His heart for the people around us. But that that is something God continues to grow in us. So it is a process is what I'm trying to say. So we have our ultimate redemption at death when God, when we 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 go to heaven and we are perfected and all sin is gone forever. But right now we are walking out that process of sanctification as God is redeeming different areas of our lives. Those, those closets that we haven't let him in, those rooms that we've said, no, you can see all the other rooms that are very pretty that I have uh, decorated just wonderfully for you. And God's saying, Jesus is saying, no, I, I want to go in that room right there. And we're saying, no, 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 no. We're standing in front of it. No, 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 no. Go to that room over there. It's so much prettier. And he's saying, no, I really want to go in that room right there. Are we going to yield? Are we going to open that door and say, Jesus, you can come in? Because moms, I'm going to tell you, 
probably the only reason that, that we don't want him to go into those rooms is because we don't think it's safe to let him in. That we don't think that he can be trusted. But this is where, or even maybe, is he powerful enough to really deal with it because it feels like something that's maybe even beyond God, right? Again, we're going back to those basics that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, his sovereignty and his goodness. So do I really believe that he's powerful enough to clean out that closet and bring bring, bring order to chaos, to bring life where there's been nothing but death? Can he really do, can he save my marriage? Can he free me from an addiction to pornography? Can he free me from generational sins, from mental illness that has run in my family? Can he really do that? I'm telling you, moms, he can. I am telling you beyond a shadow of a doubt. Read your Bible. You will see where Jesus has done this over and over and over again. And moms, this is what he has for us. And in doing this, we give not only, we not only receive what he has for us, we give this gift to our children of of having a mom who is walking faithfully with God and watching her be transformed as she yields her heart to Jesus and says, yes, Lord, I say, yes, I'm going to open this door and I'm going to trust you that you are powerful enough to change this thing in my life that has seems hopeless and that has never been changed before. I trust that you can do it. And not only that, I trust that you're good and that you're going to be gentle and you're going to do it in a way that I can handle. And you're going to give me strength and you're going to give me the ability to be able to handle this change. Because sometimes these, these places in our hearts have actually become somewhat of a friend to us in, in a very unhealthy way. They've become part of our identity. Moms, we, God has so much better for us than that. Can I just say that? He was whispering to my heart before I started this podcast that there's a couple of things that I felt like he wanted to say, and he's speaking these to my heart too. This isn't just me saying it to you. It's me hearing it from him as well. These two beautiful truths that his banner his banner over us, moms, is love. It is love. It is not condemnation. It is not rejection. It is love. His banner over us is love. And it isn't cheap love. It is love that was willing to go to the cross and shed blood and be tortured. And then... It didn't stop there. He rose again. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he put inside of us. Moms, he has victory for us. And the second thing that he was whispering to my heart is that his plans for us are good and not for evil, to give us a future and a hope. And when he gives us a future and a hope, he is giving our children a future and a hope. Because if we can believe him for a future and a hope for us, we can believe him for a future and a hope for our children. And so let's turn to Isaiah 35. 
It's a short chapter, only 10 verses. And the title for it is Hope for Restoration. And so I want you to be thinking about those places where you know God needs to bring healing and restoration. And I want you to let yourself imagine this picture. And I think it's twofold because the the author here is going to just paint a picture for us of what the restoration looks like. And I want you to believe this, not only for that day when we all go to heaven and we have a new heaven and a new earth, but for right now, as you're walking through whatever suffering, whatever trials you're currently going through or what you may go through. And even for past trials, take these past trials that maybe have skewed your version of God. And I want you to hold them up to this framework right here with the understanding that God is good and that every trial He brings into our lives, He has good in it, okay? So here's Isaiah 35. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. And yes, there will be an abundance of flowers. I love flowers. And singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God, us bearing his image, moms, this, we are displaying his glory and the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Does that sound familiar? With this news of restoration, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. Moms, he's coming to set you free. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass, marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. Can you picture that? And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. You hear that, moms? His banner over us as his people is love and his plans for us are good and not for evil to give us a future and a hope. But fools will never walk there. And this is why it doesn't matter what fools say about us. It doesn't matter what the world says about it, us because they have no claim on this highway of God's that is running through the church and is running through our hearts. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beast. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk in it. 
Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. This is what it looks like and feels like as God, as we walk through to the other side of our trials and our hardships. It's painful. It's hard to understand. We have to walk by faith, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But oh my goodness, God is ransoming us. And in our hearts, we enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy, sorrow and mourning disappearing as we walk out our life that is being redeemed through the sanctification that God is working through in our lives and in our journey. So there's discipline and there's redemption. And finally, God's glory. Because over all of this, if you've ever read through scripture, you know there is scripture after scripture after scripture that talks about God's glory. Everything is for his glory. Everything is for his glory. That's what everything is being weaved together for by him. And you know, as a daughter of a father who is not perfect, as I know that you are. We all have different experiences with our fathers and we have different views of what a father is. It can be skewed if your father was prideful. Then hearing that concept that God is working everything out for his glory sounds almost narcissistic, but it's not because God is perfect and he is good, and he is all-knowing, and he is all-powerful. And we un- when we understand who he is, it becomes a passion of ours that he would be glorified in everything, in everything. And when we get to that point and we recognize that it's not about us, it's about his glory, We find ourselves positioned in a place that was made for us. We were made to be worshipers. God created us to worship. And when we are more concerned with God's glory than our own comfort, we are worshiping Him. We are being who He made us to be. We are reflecting His glory. We are being true image bearers. We are being Christ followers. Mom's God is good, and He wants to set us free. And yes, He's going to use trials to do it. In fact, I can tell you from experience that when I have been struggling with something specific and it feels like I I can't seem to get over it and I keep thinking, well, if my circumstances would just get better, then I I would do better at this. Guess what God did? He made things harder. He added more to my plate. And honestly, it was the best thing he could do. Looking back, and it's always in hindsight, right? I look back and I think, that is what broke me. That is what made me realize I needed to humble myself, stop fighting with God, and allow myself to be humbled and to be broken and let 
him do the work that he wants to do in my heart. Because it's never just about that one thing. It's about so much more. Moms, we can trust him. He is good, and he is faithful, and he is sovereign, and he is powerful. And no matter how the elections turned out, and no matter what's going on in your life right now, and no matter what happens because of the elections, all the trickle-down effect of COVID and everything else, we can stand strong in hope because our God is sovereign, and our God is is good, and he is faithful to discipline us, faithful to train us, faithful to bring redemption and sanctification into our lives, and faithful to help us be content and at peace, knowing that he is being glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your banner over us is love, that your plans for us are for good and not evil, to give us a future and a hope because we are your people. Fools do not get to walk this journey, God. We have the privilege of walking it with you right alongside of us. And we get the privilege of walking it alongside one another. God, may we be the encouragement to one another that we so desperately need. Father, may we be faithful to allow you into those places in our hearts that are dark and dank and gross and let you bring life and light and order and your very presence, Father. We invite you to do that right now. And God, we just want to say that we trust you We love you, and we thank you, thank you for your love, and we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.